0: Good morning, good morning. It's good to see each of you. Happy Fourth of July weekend. And I know that we have a lot of our folks that are traveling, doing different things for the holiday. And we are glad for those of you that are in town that you're worshiping with us. Um, If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of being able to serve as the uh, senior pastor here, as well as one of our elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us, whether you're here in the building or whether you're online. And uh, we are. Uh, just thrilled to be together, worshiping the Lord together this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and pull it out. This summer, we are walking through uh, some of the Psalms, not all of the Psalms. Uh, that's 150 of them, so we don't have 150 weeks this summer, but we are walking through some of the Psalms, and so this morning, we'll be looking at Psalm 111, and so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be a Bible under a chair or, or near you. You can grab one of those and if you uh, need to take that home uh, and, uh, and keep that that is our gift to you uh, we'd love for you to have that um, back in the day I went uh, to seminary to learn how to be a pastor side note there was no class on how to handle a pandemic. Uh, And uh, so this last couple years have been fun. Uh, But the reality is I I did go to seminary. And and you may find this interesting or amusing or something. Uh, I I want Eric to know that one of the classes I took was on leading worship. And uh, so uh, y'all be praying. Uh, I've been asking Eric if I could lead worship some Sunday this summer. And for some unknown reason, he keeps turning me down. I don't know why that is. But we did have a class that all pastors had to take, and it was called uh, Worship Leadership or something to that effect. And it was not designed because we were going to be the ones that were the musical leaders in worship. But the reality is that worshiping our Lord involves much more than singing. That's one part of it. But worshiping the Lord has got to be based on the truth of God's word. And so as pastors, they led us to understand that as as pastors, preaching pastors, that we actually help lead the church in worship as well. But in this class, we had to kind of create some orders of worship, kind of uh, plan worship, if you will. And so uh, the professor that I had was really big. This, again, was back in the 90s. And so he was really big on, on how the printed order of worship looked inside your, like your bulletin, your worship guide. And you had to kind of have different sections. And he drilled it home to us that every service needed to start with a call to worship. It was this idea of, okay, we are here and we are declaring why it is that we're here and you may not have come in the door ready to worship. And so by golly, we're going to remind you that we are called to be together to worship the Lord together. And the reason I share all that is because Psalm 111, Psalm 112, and Psalm 113 have a built-in call to worship. Each of these psalms, if you're reading in the English, which I anticipate you probably are, it says, praise the Lord. It's the very first line in each of these three psalms. If you were reading in the Hebrew, which I doubt you are, but if you were reading in the Hebrew, it wouldn't say, praise the Lord. It would have one word, which means praise the Lord, and that word would be hallelujah. And so maybe you've heard that word used before maybe you've sung that word maybe you've sang that word this morning and you're like okay i don't know what it is but it sounds like we're worshiping god the truth of the matter is the word hallelujah is the combination of of hallel which is worship and yah or yahweh together meaning hallelujah worship or praise the lord and so this morning we are going to look at psalm 111 which calls us to worship our lord and one other interesting thing, if you were looking in the Hebrew, after that very first line, that very first word, which is hallelujah, every line after that, not every verse, but every line after that, there are 22 lines in Psalm 111, and every one of those is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so this is an acrostic that walks through what it means to worship the Lord, to praise His name, and why and how we are to do it. So if you don't mind, let's look at Psalm 111. As I said, it begins with this word, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Just as a side note, this is not a recommendation. This is not a, you really ought to consider this Rather, hallelujah here, praise the Lord is an imperative, a command. We are commanded to praise the Lord. So let's read the text that helps us to praise the Lord. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty, is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness he he sent redemption to his people he has commanded his covenant forever holy and awesome is his name the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom all those who practice it have a good understanding his praise endures forever perhaps as we read through that text you saw some things that kind of popped up several times over and over and over again, it refers to the works or deeds of God and how amazing and miraculous and great and wonderful and powerful they are. I love the fact that when Howard prayed a moment ago, he said, we, we could use a word to describe how great you are, Lord, but there are not adequate words to be able to declare it all. And yet, over and over and over again in this psalm, it says that his works are to be, uh, to, to, that his works cause us to begin to praise him. So we see his works repeated over and over. We see his praise being repeated over and over. We see the word forever. We're going to look in a moment at all the places where it says forever or ever and ever and ever. We see here that we are called to worship God. So let's look at some things together. If you came in and picked up a worship guide, you'll see on the back side there's a place where you can take some notes. And we see the first thing that I have here is that we are to praise him with our whole heart we find that in verse 1 in verse 1 it says that i will give thanks or i will praise him and how am i going to praise him how am i going to thank him well i'm going to do it with my whole heart Perhaps you're familiar with the paraphrase. It's not a translation, but a paraphrase by the uh, title of the message. Eugene Peterson uh, takes a little bit of liberty as he paraphrases the scripture, but he does also look at the Hebrews. He begins the process. And the message on verse 1 says, I'm going to praise him with everything I've got. Whenever it says, I'm going to worship Him with all my heart, if we're not careful, we think that that's all my emotions. Like, I'm going to have all these emotions when I worship God. Yes, emotions are a part of it, but whenever the Hebrew would say, whenever the Hebrew people would say, I'm going to do something with all my heart, it's much more than just emotions. It carries with it the concept of all of our mind, all of our will, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our understanding, everything that's within me will praise and worship the lord so my question for us this morning is do we worship the lord with all of our heart and again i want us to be real careful whenever i talk about praise and worship of the lord it's not simply what we do for an hour on sunday mornings together corporately although this is very vital Rather, worshiping the Lord is something that we do throughout the course of the week. And so the question is, are we praising him with everything that we've got? This idea of worshiping him with everything that we have causes me to think about the idea of worshiping him with reckless abandon. That we have no restraints. We have no moderation. That we're free of all inhibition. We hold nothing back when we worship the Lord. Perhaps you remember the story in the Old Testament of King David. Do you remember the time that he walked in with the the Ark of the Covenant? And he was dancing and praising and getting ridiculous as he was worshiping the Lord because of how great and powerful the Lord is. And his wife said, David, you're the king. That's not very dignified. And he's like, hold on, because I'm going to become even more undignified than this. Now, understand, David was not worshiping God in an inappropriate way. He was simply worshiping the Lord with all that is in him. So my question is, when we come to the Lord to worship him, is that the kind of worship that we worship him with? Now, I do want to be really careful. Not everyone's personality, I know you're going to give a big amen to this, but not everybody's personality is the same as Alan Pittman's. Not everybody is as loud and crazy and, 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 and energetic and maybe ADHD-ish, my wife says, as Alan is. But all of us are called to worship the Lord with all of our heart. It may not look and sound, hopefully it doesn't sound like mine, but it doesn't look or sound like my worship, but we should, with no restraints, Worship God, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. But I will ask this Worship is more than we do on Sunday morning, but when we come together on Sunday morning, do you only sit there prim and proper? Do you only sit there and recite the words that are on the screen? Or do you allow the truth of God's Word to permeate all that you are so that your soul and everything within you shouts and proclaims and worships His name? Now, I don't mean that the only proper way to worship is with hands raised, but if the Lord leads you to raise your hands, would you be willing to do that? The only way to worship the Lord is not on our knees, but if the Lord leads you to worship Him on your knees, will you do that? the only way to worship the lord is not with shouts of hallelujah but if the lord leads you to do that will you shout hallelujah we are called to worship him with all that we have now i kind of got ahead of myself i I said worship is more than just what we do on sunday mornings and you're like but alan you're sure focusing a lot on sunday mornings let me get to the rest of verse one it says that I will give thanks to the Lord my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. So in the context of what the psalmist is saying about worshiping the Lord, it does involve all of his life, but in this verse he's talking specifically when he goes to the temple and worships with the righteous, with the saints, as he worships with God's people. So my question for us is this. Do you long to worship the Lord with God's people? One thing that I think COVID has done for us, which is not actually for us, it's actually against us, as people in the United States, it's made us comfortable with, oh, I I can worship from home. And don't get me wrong, I know there's some that are worshiping from home, and that's what you need to do this morning. But, but if we're not careful, we can be lulled into sleep where all we do is we worship in our individualistic way and we don't realize the great value of being in the congregation of God's people. That is, you sing this morning, as we say how great thou art and the music went down and the voices were being lifted, I was able to hear some saints in this place that have sung this song for 70 years and to be able to hear them praise the Lord with their voice is amazing. See, when I come, I don't come to watch people as they worship. However, I am called to worship corporately, and how my neighbor worships does impact how I worship as well. And the way I worship impacts them, because we are called as a congregation of people to praise the Lord together. And so that's what we see here in verse 1. So my question is, do you long to worship with God's people? Or is Sunday just kind of a duty for you? I know back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s, and I wasn't alive then, so I'm not talking negatively of the 50s and 60s. But I do know that in the 50s and 60s, in some places in the Bible Belt... For some people, it was less about going to church to worship the Lord, and it was more about going there so that I can maintain my social uh, status and so I can have some good business deals. And if we're not careful, you and I can be lulled into sleep in the same sort of way where we come together on a Sunday morning, we go through the ritual, we go through the routine, we may even sing a song or two, we may even lead in a prayer, but we're not truly worshiping the Lord, we're just going through the motions. Guys, it's time for us to praise the Lord with our whole heart as we come together as church family it's time to get back to worshiping the lord with everything that's within us so can i give you a few like practical application steps that i think might be helpful for us to worship the lord together in the company of the upright in the congregation and you can take these suggestions for what they're worth i encourage you to worship in person in the building I encourage you to go ahead and scoot up towards the front so that you can be closer to God's people, so you can be with your church family, to sing out, or in my notes I have sign out. You can sign out too. I know Joyce does some signing, but sing out whenever you worship. Take notes. Say amen. Say preach, preacher. All of those things. Say help him, Lord, whatever you may need to say, and visit with the saints afterwards. You see, we're not going to the same church. We're not going to the same worship service. Rather, we are God's people. We are the congregation. We are the family of God called Living Hope Baptist Church College Station, and we're called to worship him together. We need one another. So praise him with your whole heart. Let's keep going. Second point, praise him for his majestic work. Praise him for his majestic work. You can look through the whole psalm, but specifically verses 2 through 7 Over and over again, he describes the works of the hands of the Lord. And I'm not going to read each verse again, but you can glance at your Bible and you can see each of these. I'm going to walk through verse by verse with some of these words that describe his works. Look at it. Verse 2, his works are described as great. Verse 3, they're described being full of splendor and majesty. Down in verse 4, it refers to his works as being wondrous. Verse 6, it says that, 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 that they're, uh, they're powerful. His works are powerful. And then verses, verse 7 says they're faithful and just. Each of these words describe how amazing and incredible and great and powerful and majestic is the name of the Lord and therefore how great and powerful and amazing his works are. See, whenever I go out and see scenery or creation, it shouldn't cause me to worship the creation, but rather the creation should cause me to worship the creator, the one who made that creation. So whenever I think about his works, the works that are majestic, how we should praise him for his works, let's consider different ways that we experience his works. I've already mentioned one of them, creation. Whenever it says praise him for his majestic work, part of that, not only that, but part of that is his creation. We must never worship creation, but it should lead us to worship the God of creation. The second aspect that I want to highlight related to his work is his provision for his people, provision for his people, specifically in this psalm, is for his people Israel. In fact, verses 4 through 6 in some ways are kind of, a, um, kind of a synopsis, if you will, of how God had been with his people Israel out of captivity in Egypt. We even looked at this last week in Psalm 80. And how he was with them as he helped them to conquer the land and to be planted in the land. So let's look at some of the provision that he gives to his people in verses 5 and 6. In 5 and 6 it says that he provides food. It says that... Um, In verse 6, it says that he has given them the inheritance of the nations. Whenever it says it provides food, yes, God provides food to us. But specifically within the context of God's people, Israel, how did God provide food? Remember in the Old Testament, remember in in, in the Exodus, God provided them food with manna, which the word manna means, what is it? Like God caused this, what is it, to fall from the sky, and he provided food for them. And then what's the other way God provided food for them during during the Exodus? With quail, right? So we see God's reminding them through his psalmist that God has provided food in the past for his people, and therefore he is to be praised. And then it says the inheritance of the nations in verse 6. And what that means is that God gave them the land, the holy land, the, the land of milk and honey, and he drove out the other people groups and gave them that land. God provided for his people. And as we look at the fact that he provided for his people Israel, we're reminded that he likewise provides for us today. Where does my food come from? Well, it comes from your paycheck, Alan. Well, yes and no. How do I get my paycheck? God provides that for me, right? Everything we have is given to us by the Lord, and yes, he calls us to be an active participant in his work, but we don't receive anything unless he bestows it upon us. So we see that his works are great, In creation his works are great in his provision for his people and along those same lines there's another word here and that is the word redemption look down at verse 9 in verse 9 it says he sent redemption to his people think about the context of the people of israel how had god brought redemption how had god brought deliverance It had been exemplified by what he did whenever he rescued his people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and then taken them to the promised land, that God brought deliverance whenever they needed to be delivered. But was that the ultimate deliverance and and redemption we need? Absolutely not. The ultimate redemption that we need is spiritual redemption that is available ultimately only through Jesus Christ himself. And so whenever I say that the people of God have been delivered from slavery in Egypt, but that it's pointing to Jesus, it makes me think of the Passover meal. Do you remember much about the Passover meal? Whenever God sent his servant Moses down to Egypt, and Moses went reluctantly but went... And he began to ask or tell, command the Pharaoh to let his people go. God said, Let my people go. Pharaoh basically laughed in his face each time. There were different plagues, and the last plague was going to be the plague of the death of the firstborn child, right? And God said, but I'm going to protect Israel, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to bring redemption from that, and redemption where you get out of slavery, and the way that happens is you're going to take a lamb, which demonstrates your faith in me, you're going to kill this lamb, you're going to spread the the blood over the doorpost of the house, so that whenever I come through, I'll see the blood over the doorpost, and I won't kill your firstborn child. And God rescued his people, and through the centuries, through the the years and the centuries, they celebrated and remembered all that God had done for them through the Passover. And then we get to the New Testament, and who is referred to as the Passover lamb? But Jesus Christ, right? How is that? Why is that? Because Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Scripture tells us that because of our own selfishness and our own desire to call the shots, I don't want God to be on the throne of my life. I want to be on the throne of my life, and I want to be in charge, and therefore I sin against God. Scripture tells us all of us, not a single one of us is without sin. In fact, this morning I was reading in the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the verses in Ecclesiastes reminded us again, no, all of us are sinners. And because of my sin, I can have no part, or let me rephrase that, God can have no part of me. His holiness cannot be uh, intercepted with my sin. But here's the good news. Jesus, the Passover lamb, came and he lived on this planet. He walked this earth, God in the flesh. God's son, lived without sin, tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin, did not deserve death. You and I deserve death because of our sin, but Jesus took our sin upon his shoulders. He took all of our sins upon himself, right? And because of our sin, he died on a cross. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Three days later, he was raised out of the ground, overcoming sin and death and the power of sin and Satan overcoming all evil forces in order that anyone who would place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done on their behalf can accept and receive by God's grace, not by our works, not because we earn it, but by God's grace so we can be forgiven of our sins. So my question is this. Have you... Experienced the redemption from God. Not by any, anything you did, but by what Christ did on your behalf. I'm not asking, have you been to church all your life? I'm not asking, was your granddaddy a pastor? I'm not asking, are you a good little boy? I'm not asking, did you get a medal for perfect attendance? I'm not saying, have you prayed so many prayers? I'm asking, have you placed your faith and your trust, have you repented of your sin, believing that the grace of God is all that can save you? If you haven't, then you can't praise the Lord for anything, actually. But if you have then you have every right to praise his name for everything, for all that he is. Don't leave this place this morning a stranger to God. Don't leave this place an enemy of God. Rather, leave this place this morning trusting in his finished work in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you can praise him for your redemption. Let's look at some other ways to praise him. Verse 7 says that we're to praise him for his law, his precepts. In the ESV it says precepts is another word for the law or commandments, his statutes, the way that he says things should be. Verse 7 has a, um, uh, really all of, the Psalms have a Hebrew parallelism to it. And what I mean by that is there's typically in in a verse of Psalms, there's two lines. And typically they are parallel to each other, meaning they kind of mean the same thing. Sometimes they mean the same thing just with different words. Sometimes line one starts a thought and line two continues that thought. Sometimes line one says this, and line two says the complete opposite. And so they still are running parallel with one another. It's called Hebrew parallelism. Verse seven refers to the works of the hands of God as faithful and just. And then it says, all his precepts are trustworthy. And part of the works of the hands of the Lord is his law. It, It runs parallel. And he says, because of who God is, he's faithful and just. So are his precepts, they are trustworthy. When's the last time that you've praised God for his commandments? All too often we're like going, God, I really don't know why you made that commandment. I'd rather not follow that commandment. But the reality is God knows us. He knows what's good for us. He knows what brings him glory. And his law and his commandments are not some kind of cosmic killjoy. Rather, his law and his commandments are for our good. His law and his commandments, we see in verse 7, are faithful and they're tr- just and they are trustworthy. You and I can and we must trust God's word. In our world today, even in a lot of churches, it's almost like they just toss the Bible aside and go, you know what? Those were some good ideas back then, but they don't really apply to us any longer. By golly, that is not true whatsoever. God's Word, His precepts are trustworthy, and they were trustworthy when the psalmist wrote this, and they're trustworthy in the year 2022, and if we get to year 3022, they'll be just as trustworthy then. We must praise the Lord for His Word. All right, I need to keep going. I thought I had a shorter sermon today, and I keep talking. So let's look at verses 5 and 9. Verses 5 and 9, another reason to praise him for his majestic work. In verses 5 and 9, it says this. It says, he remembers his covenant forever, and then verse 9 says something similar. He has commanded his covenant forever. That God remembers and commanded his covenant forever. He made a covenant with his, his servant Abraham And ultimately, the covenant that he made with Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. He said that I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will bless your people. And the blessing that he offers to the nation of Israel and to God's people is the blessing through Jesus Christ himself. And it says that this covenant lasts forever. In verse 4, it says that he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The way that his wondrous works are remembered are in the Old Testament. I just read some of Leviticus this morning, too. And as you read Leviticus, it can sometimes feel a little dry and boring, but I promise you it's not. And the section that I read this morning towards the end of Leviticus walks through all of the festivals. It walks through the Sabbath it walks through the Jubilee it walks through the feast of weeks it walks through the weeks uh, the feast of the first fruit and I, I'm leaving a couple more out but the reality is why it's listing that in the Passover it lists all of those because it causes them to remember God's law when you and I come together and we take the Lord's Supper we don't just take it because we feel like we want a little snack during the service rather we take it to be reminded of what Jesus did on our behalf He causes us to remember his work, his word. My question for you is this. When is the last time that you reflected on the work of God's hand and praised him for it? Let's keep going. The third point says praise him for his character. We spend a lot of time looking at his works, but the truth of the matter is that the reason we praise him for his works is because his works are a reflection of his character. His attributes uphold his works. And so we're not praising the works. We're not praising him for what he's given to us. Rather, we're praising him for who he is. And because of who he is, we also receive from him, right? And so his attributes, his character are to be worshipped as well. Let's look at some of those aspects, some of those character traits, some of those attributes. In verse 3, we see that his righteousness endures forever, He is right. He is just. He is true. He brings salvation. That is something to worship him for. Look at verse 4. It says that he is gracious. He's merciful. Depending on your translation, it may have the word compassionate. Yes, God judges sin, but he also is merciful and forgiving and compassionate and loving. He's not ready to zap you down. He's ready to receive you if you'll accept his free gift of grace. But also, verse 7, he's faithful and just. That means he will judge. That means if you don't repent of your sins, he's a wrathful God who will judge you and send you to an eternity in hell without him, not to spite us, but because we chose to go against his attributes or his character. Faithful and just, he's truth, he's reliable, he's trustworthy, which we see in verse 7. It says his commands are trustworthy. They are true. They are accurate. They stand fast because it's who he is. Verse 9 says that he's holy and awesome. Made me think of a song back in the day, Our God is an Awesome God. You remember that song? Uh, We could sing it together. We probably won't. But um, our God is awesome awesome he is and that's not just some radical 80s word he is awesome and powerful and amazing he is perfect he is other and so there is an aspect of dreadfulness to him he is not our homeboy he's not the big guy in the sky he is a god the god that's worthy of our worship and our praise of all that we have we don't just stroll in and say what's up So here's the deal. I don't know whether you have read, I've read some of them, I've watched the rest of them, uh, if you've ever read some of C.S. Lewis' uh, works on, on the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, but if you have, and probably most of us have, I hope, um, it, it's, it's a bit of an allegory for who God is and how we interact with him. All right. And in the, the story, there is a lion, perhaps you've heard of him, his name is Aslan, and he's not God, but it's an allegory, and it's loosely to help us see some character traits and aspects of who God is. Well, in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan, one of the girls, asks if Aslan is safe. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. And I'm telling you that God is not safe. But he's good. He's the king. We can trust him. But to say that he is not safe means that he is holy. He is perfect. He is awesome. He is pure. And we are other than that. All too often, we try to make God safe by putting him in our little box. And by us saying, well, this is who God is. And let me put him in a little box. God can't be put in a box. He isn't safe. He is loving, he is nurturing, he provides for us, but he isn't safe. And the reason I say that is just think about some places like China or North North Korea or or some of these other places where you have to worship him underground because of of what's going on with the governments there. He, He doesn't provide all of a sudden, he could do it if he wanted to, safety from their government. He doesn't care so much, I don't mean that negatively, but he doesn't care so much about our physical safety. He cares about our worship and adoration of him. He is holy, he is awesome. Let's keep going. Do you have a biblical understanding of who God is? We walk through some of these character traits or attributes of God. My question is, do you have a biblical understanding of who God is? Or do you try to fashion him into who you or what you want him to be? Have you ever heard someone say, or have you ever used these words? Well, if that's how God is, I wouldn't want to worship him. Or my God doesn't judge people for their sins. Like, we don't have a my God. <laughs> he, he is who he is. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's compassionate. But he's also just. I would invite you to consider being a part of one of our classes that will be offered this fall. We're planning on offering a few different classes, one of which being called Christian Belief, where you can learn more about who God is. And it's foundational to get some theological, doctrinal understanding of who God is so that we can praise him for his character. Now let's look at the last thing. It's a summation of the whole thing. It says, praise him forever. Look at verse 10. The whole psalm finishes, his praise endures forever forever. As I said a moment ago, the word forever is used several times in this psalm. Whenever it describes God's character, it uses the word forever four different times. I'm going to just point you to the verses real quickly. Verse 3, it says his righteousness endures forever. Verse 5 and verse 9 refers to his covenant. And it says there that his covenant is forever. And then verse 8, it talks about his commandments or his precepts are forever. That's a carryover from verse 7. You see, God is forever and ever and ever, amen, true to himself. He is unchanging. He is forever who he is. And if he is forever these things, then you and I are forever to praise him forever. When it says in verse 10, his praise endures forever, it means to continuously praise him. I I was reminded of Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, towards the end of that chapter, the words won't be on the screen. Maybe you want to look at, at it later today. It references the throne room of God in heaven. And it references the four living creatures. And it says that the four living creatures, day and night, they never cease to say at the throne of God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're never ceasing to praise Jesus Christ. You and I are also to never cease praising Jesus Christ. You're like, Alan, that's what i plan to do. Like the day that I die, which I'm not trying to hurry it up, but the day I die, I'm going to be in God's presence. I'm going to worship him around his throne forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm saying, no, it starts now in the here and now. It doesn't just happen then. It happens now as well. If you don't like to praise God now, you're going to be bored in heaven. Or let me rephrase that. If you don't like praising God now, perhaps you don't even know Jesus Christ. Because if you don't like to praise him now, what makes you think you're going to enjoy an eternity in heaven Falling down prostrate, and i got to be careful how I say that word, in front of the Lord and worship him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This isn't an angel on a cloud playing a harp. This is worshiping the holy God, the Lord of hosts. we got to be willing to praise him in the here and now, to say that it endures forever. It starts right now. So does that define your life? The praise of the Lord forever, does it define your life right now? Don't wait for eternity to praise him. Start right now. Lots of reasons to praise him. I wrote down two in my notes. The list could go on and on and on and on, but I know you don't want me to go on and on and on and on. So you can think of the reasons to praise him right now in your mind about why to praise him forever. I I thought of a couple. One would be this weekend is 4th of July, right? We should praise Him and not think we're better than, but praise Him that we were fortunate enough, most of us, to be born in this country, to live in this country where we can come freely to worship the Lord. At the same time, if we're not careful, we'll take that freedom for granted and we won't take it as seriously as we should and we should be praising the Lord forever and that's one reason we could be praising Him. Another reason we might be praising Him this weekend is one that is difficult, I understand. There's lots of complexities. There's people that are hurting and sad for various reasons, but it is still a victory that the Lord has done, and we should worship him for it, and that is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That's a reason to praise the Lord. But at the same time, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And there are crisis pregnancies. There are people that want to get abortions. There are still people that will go get abortions that aren't legal. There are people who don't have the money to raise their kids. There's lots of ways that we as the church have to step in and help out and pray for and nurture and care for. But the reality is still that is something to praise the Lord for. The list could go on and on and on. Just as our list for reasons to worship the Lord goes on and on, so should our worship of him go on and on and on and on. This morning, not long before the service started, I got a text from one of my kids, and they shared with me that um, one of their friends, apparently last night, nobody that's here, Nobody that I personally know, but one of their friends last night took their life. As I got ready to preach this morning, I was reminded that all too often in our world, and maybe in this room as well, there are reasons and things that the world is shouting in our ears to say that this life just isn't worth it. This life is just too hard too confusing, too full of trauma, too many hurts, too many problems. Guys, I want to be real careful here. I'm not just tying a neat little bow on here and saying, hey, if you just love Jesus, all your problems go away. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, that if we as followers of Jesus would see all that God is and all his works are, and if we can see the value of our redemption and praise him, then in the midst of the praise, God works through the crud of life. But not everyone. Who's going through that even knows Jesus. So they're not going to praise Jesus. So it's our call as the followers of Jesus to show, so proclaim the name of Jesus that people that are struggling in life would see that he is the ultimate. And because he is praiseworthy, then this life matters as well. I texted back. I'm on purpose saying my kid and not saying which one. But on purpose texted back my kid and said, praying for you. And they talked about some of the difficulty they're facing. And I said, I'm praying for you. And they said, I know that, Daddy. I've got God on my side, and it's going to be okay. So I don't know where you are this morning. If you're depressed, if you're frustrated, if you're sad, if you're mad, if you're angry, if you're on cloud nine, if you're somewhere in between, if you're bored with life, if you're confused, if you don't know what step to take, if you don't know what decision to make, but I will say this, that it all boils down to not who we are, but who God is. And according to his word, he is worthy of our praise, both now and forever. His works are great. His handiwork is incredible. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is whole he is pure and he is worthy of our worship will we worship him this morning and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and on and on see psalm 111 is consistently pointing us to the goodness of the lord that is shown to us by what he does and who he is this ought to lead us to worship him not just at church not just on sunday mornings but this worship service should propel us out into a world into a life of worship so that as i walk home drive home as i walk in the door as i interact with my wife as i interact with my kids as i interact with co-workers as i interact with the employee at kroger as i go through life as I talked to my neighbor that I would worship the Lord that I would praise him for who he is so that my life would be reflective of who he is so that others would see it and they would trust in him as well but is there something in your life right now that's preventing you from worshiping him with your whole heart if so would you come and lay it at his feet today Would you say, Lord, I want to worship you, but this thing has me worked up. This thing has me nervous. This thing has me anxious. This relationship problem, this fear or this concern, would you lay it at his feet? Would you repent of any sin and confess that sin and leave it at his feet? Would you spend time in his word this week? Would you praise him for his work and for his character? Would you look for opportunities to share his work, his character with those around you? Would you seek to praise the Lord with all that you have so that we understand what it means to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God? Our lives must be lived in a way that's designed to glorify our Heavenly Father. I'm going to lead us in prayer. At the end of that prayer, there'll be an opportunity for us to respond and praise God in a multitude of ways. In no particular order, we'll have an opportunity to sing, we'll have an opportunity to pray, we'll have an opportunity to give financially, we'll have an opportunity to drop our connection card in the offering plate, we'll have a chance to come and pray at the altar, you'll have a a chance to come and pray with me, but I would encourage all of us to praise and worship the Lord this morning as he leads us to do so. Let me pray for us.